Welcome to Sober Talk. I'm Dennis and I have lived experience of alcohol. If you or anyone you know is struggling with alcohol, please call Alcoholics Anonymous on 1300-222-222 or check out their website on aa.org.au. I'll just run through the preamble of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other. They must solve their common problems and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses or opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to steer sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. Good evening, everybody. I'm Denise. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm grateful today to be sober, due to my higher power and the loving fellowship of AA. I'm in my ninth year of sobriety, and I suppose I was one of the lucky ones that I got it straight away, but that's because I was so desperate. Uh, I drank for 40 years or more, and that in the end I was a daily drinker, hiding glasses in cupboards and trying to do my best with life, but I couldn't do anything in life without a drink in my hand. Uh, the only time I was sober was when I gave birth to my two children, whether I was sick or I had to go into hospital or whatever. I had to have my my medicine, as I used to call it back then. Um, so what it was like, uh, I grew up in an alcoholic family. My generations of alcoholics, I've got Irish grandparent alcoholics on my mother's side. And I'm not sure my father's side, but he was the alcoholic and he was a nasty alcoholic and drink used to change him and he was terrible with my mother, so it was a very dysfunctional family, lots of um, domestic violence. I was the only one that would stand up to him <clears throat> and that, of course, didn't make me popular. Um, and I thought because I didn't drink like my father that I was an alcoholic. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I figured that it was just because I had such a dysfunctional childhood that I needed stuff like that to get through the day because I was always anxious or depressed. Some of the stages in my life went through lots of depression. I suppose now looking back, that was grief, uh, grief not not practiced or not sorted through um, and because when I was growing up it was all about the alcoholic uh, I've done a little bit of Al-Anon since and um, yes it really wasn't about the other people in the family we, we, no one was allowed feelings nobody was allowed to talk about it, it was all pushed um, under under the carpet and um, neighbours weren't supposed to know but of course they did know because of all the shouting and the rows and the carry-on. And I can remember when we moved from Elizabeth to North Haven, I, got in, I was a teenager by then driving, and I challenged my father. He came home drunk one night and started to smash up the house. And I told him I wasn't going to put up with it. And he said, what were you going to do? What are you going to do? And, like, you know, violently towards me. And I said, well, I'm going to call the cops. So I called the police, and they came, and... 
mother was horrified. They talked to him and they told him I, I left. I told the police I was leaving because I could drive. I was driving off to family. And they said to him, you're going to let a young 15, 16-year-old leave the house and go out into the night? And, you, and he's like, yeah, I don't care and that sort of thing. And afterwards, my mother was horrified that I'd called the police and she said to me, I still remember it to this day, this is how unwell she was, what will the neighbours think? And I said, Mum, the neighbours know you're fighting and arguing every night. I was trying to get through my um, school leaving to get into matric. So I was studying and, and it was just impossible. Everything was impossible. You could just couldn't have, like, normal the things that healthy people do just didn't happen in my household a lot of the time um but my mother did hold it together we always ate well and that sort of thing and on the surface it all looked good um but that's what it looks like in an alcoholic's life uh so i was a high achiever alcoholic if there's such a thing um I had children, as I said before. I'm married, uh, a man from my area, and we got a business together and we did exceptionally well. We're living the high life, so more more opportunity to drink, of course, um, cars and houses and companies here and in Western Australia and two children that you know, I'm still really close to, thank goodness, today. And... Um, yeah, it just was all under the guise of this drinking business, and I didn't think anyone knew, but, of course, there would have been people that did know. He knew, and he was a drinker too, but his background was um, drugs. We grew up, both of us, in Elizabeth, and um, he got into the drugs. I didn't on that level. I touched on drugs, but he started to try heroin and um was sharing needles back in the day when he got hep C and we weren't aware of that until he had to have a blood test for um, his insurance because we were making so much money. We had to insure him for so much money. And they found he had hep C and that started my marriage decline um, because he was in fear and he eventually, after 12 months of assimilating that, um, we got some help through the Hepsi um, Health people. He left me um, with the two kids and later on died. Ten, ten years later, he died. Eventually, he, he um, was like a vegetable. Unfortunately, my kids had to put him in a facility um, and he was only you know, 54 and... So all that money and, uh, you know, didn't make him happy. Um, but, I mean, he wasn't still using drugs, but that's the damage that had done in the, in the past in his life and it damaged his liver. And, um, yeah, so that I'm so grateful to be alive today because of all the people that I grew up with are nearly all gone, I think. I, I don't know any of them that are still alive. So I feel very, um, yeah, very grateful um and then the kids haven't got a father of course but they're married now with their own families and children and i'm so close to my grandchildren i took four years off of working um still voluntary working but working not working working um so i could take time to go visit them whenever i needed to and support my children from having them as 
young babies brought home from the hospital because I realised that that's a connection I wanted to make no matter what. Um, and I have a really good connection with all my grandchildren today. And I wouldn't have had that if I was still drinking. And I, they wouldn't want me around and in their lives and I wouldn't blame them. So all of my grandchildren have never seen me drinking. Um, and I'm very proud of that fact because um, I'm hoping that that sets a precedent for my future generations um, in, you know, alcohol and drugs and that sort of thing. And of course, even you know, I can't, I can't stop them from trying any of that stuff. But if there's alcoholics in there and drug addicts in there, I can at least tell them and guide them to, you know, AA and they can get well inside the rooms if they want to. I can show them that there's a way. In my generation, we didn't, I didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon, and it's a family disease. So, um, you know, that's, that's a really important thing, I believe, these days. It gives me a lot of hope for my grandchildren that if they suffer, and I'm, you know, as I said, I don't know what that is, whether you're born with it or um, we I don't think any science even knows these days. Um, but whatever it is, we've got it, and we know we've got it because we can't drink safely. And that's basically what it was. I'd have one drink, and then one drink would lead to another drink. And um, anyway, what happened was I got remarried again, and, of course, I married another alcohol an alcoholic. This time I attracted the alcoholic into my life. As you do, but I didn't know he was alcoholic. We just drank a lot together and um, obviously unhealthy drinking. And I sort of had, took a hostage really. And, but he never admitted that he was alcoholic, like I didn't know. And I was living with him, the children had left home and I went into a deep depression. I wasn't working and we'd gone to a seaside town to try to have start a healthy lifestyle and it wasn't working. And I got so bad I couldn't get out of bed and I used to pray to a God that I didn't believe in that I would just be taken and, and it would just I was physically really unwell. And um, one day nothing happened. <laughs> you know, surprisingly enough, no lightning bolt came to save me or group of angels or anything like that. So... I had to do something about it. And one day I remember I rang Beyond Blue and said how depressed I was and they asked me a few questions and they and that came up that I was drinking. And it was the first time that I had been honest with myself or anybody about my drinking. And they said, well, look, you know, we really need to um, address drinking before we can uh, help you with the mental health. And that was the beginning of my journey. And I went into a detox uh, that's a detox for four days or so. My husband drove me up there and I told him while I was up there, get rid of all the alcohol in the house. So he did and he moved it to the shed. <laughs> but that was his drinking arena and um, I got sober in there. They helped me with medicine and, um, you know, a lot of love and a lot of support. And then I realised I needed to continue with that network. Um, so I decided um, while I was in there that I'd be going to AA when I got home. AA came in to visit me in Dassa and there was this wonderful girl there full of life and she was 
telling funny stories about her drinking um, and where it led her. And I realised I hadn't done anything crazy like that. So I figured if she could get well, there might be a chance for me. And they told me that there was a solution to my problem. So I believed them. I had I had no other evidence. And uh, the first time I got hope. So when I got home, it was really difficult. Um, I just stepped through it a day at a time, minute at a time, second at a time if I had to. And I started going to AA meetings. And my first meeting was in Gawa. That was my that was and still is my home group. And I remember ringing up and speaking to the secretary, who back then was Irish Martin, and I thought, great, they're all Irish. Um, I've got that in my heritage. They'll understand. They'll teach me how to drink without it getting me into trouble. And how wrong was I? <laughs> of course, we didn't drink. And the first day I got there, there was a lot of love shown. Lots of people came up and was friendly. And I just felt like I belonged for the first time, well, in a long time or if, if ever. And they told me to look for the similarities and not the differences. And that straight away was a really good thing for me because it meant that I didn't judge people because um, I could have been sitting there and it could have all been about them instead of myself and it made me align myself with the things I could see in them. And I could see plenty of similarities. Um, so I knew I was in the right place. And I, I bought the big book that night and I took it home and I read it in the week and I thought, wow, this will be my Bible because even though I didn't understand it all, I knew that there was so much in there um, that was like me. And I finally started to get an inkling of what this disease was about and realised that it was a disease um, that could be treated rather than some misfortune or, you know, just some insanity and my sanity started to return and I always look at um, recovery as, as a holistic um, trip travel whatever you want to call it and that's what happened physically I started to get well people used to come up to me after meetings and say wow you're looking good just my skin was getting better my eyes were starting to not be so bloodshot and I thanked them for that because I couldn't see that myself. I didn't have a mirror um, and they were mirroring me and I got better physically and then mentally I started to get a lot more clarity. I still hadn't found the spiritual. In the beginning, my higher power was the rings of, alcohol, of Alcoholics Anonymous and it still is in a lot of ways. I call it my clinic of calm. I go to meetings, I'm a meetings person, face-to-face. -face. Uh, I don't do many Zooms, they're there if I need them, but I prefer the face-to-face. -face. Um, it makes me be more accountable. You know, back in the day, we got told to do the dishes and, you know, those kinds of things. You can't do all of that on Zoom. Um, and, and that kept me accountable. That kept me going to the meetings and it made me, have something to look forward to every Tuesday night. And then after I read the big book, I asked for a sponsor and she came skipping over to me and bless her heart, she was a beautiful sponsor and she was exactly who I needed. <clears throat> so I worked the steps with her 12 months because three months into my sobriety, I started uh, my own business from home and people thought I was crazy. They didn't tell me, but they said behind my back, oh, she won't stay sober. 
um, this will be her undoing. And it wasn't. It's exactly what I needed to keep keep my sobriety going. And I had that business for three years until eventually I had to leave my husband um, because he was still drinking. And I had a do or die moment. The serenity prayer I used to say every day. And I had a do or die moment with the serenity prayer and realised that I had, the, I had to have the courage to make the change because... Um, I was frightened I might go back to drinking or it really felt like the dark side, if that makes any sense to anybody out there. I was, you know, faced with this dilemma. And I didn't want to leave my husband, but um, I, you know, I was quite, almost in my 50s by then, late 50s, and I, I thought, oh, no, here we go, second time around, what a mess. And um, I brought it up in a meeting at Strathalbyn, because um, my my sponsor said tell to get well, and I hadn't talked about all that. Because don't forget, I'd been taught as a child not to talk about things. And so I started to talk in this meeting, and excuse me, <clears throat> lots of people came up to me, and one woman in particular said, "Look, if you've got nowhere to go, you can tow your caravan onto my property. I'll just check with my husband." And that's exactly what I did. Members helped me hook the caravan. Um, on and while he was at work I packed it and took one dog and left the other which broke my heart all emotional stuff always drama and I moved to her property but I could only stay there for two weeks and then I started to couch surf, I hated to say that I was homeless I called myself, I said I was in transition <laughs> um, and I was in transition in more ways than one and I stayed at my son's for a while in the city so I could do a meeting every day and that's what I did and I didn't drink through it and eventually you know six years down the track later uh still living alone still on my own but um you know not in a dysfunctional unhealthy relationship um and eventually <clears throat> after you know surf couching the surf, surfing the couches and stuff one of the um, women in AA that I knew put a hand out and said that I could rent her granny flat. So I did that and I started to heal and I had 12 months there. Hang on, I just have to have a drink, sorry. <clears throat> I had 12 months with her, which was my healing while all my finances were being done. And then when my finances came through, I bought a little house in Victor Harbour where I am still today and um, began the journey of living alone. And that wasn't easy either because I hadn't been on my own for years. I had before I got married, but I, I hadn't for years. I'd had husbands, dogs, kids, you know, the whole works. The house was always full. And I loved that. And all of a sudden I'm sitting here by myself looking at myself. Most people say that when they come to AA, you know, they get in amongst the social, like, people. So I used to drink alone. I was different. I used to drink. Well, I did drink alone, but I drank with a lot of people too. I had a lot of people in my life, and then I went to no people in my life except for the people in AA. Um, and then I came, I hit a brick wall. I got sick at work. By then I was working again. I got sick and um, I had to leave because they wouldn't give me time off. And I got physically sick, but then very quickly I got mentally sick. And I realised that underneath my drinking there was a lot of mental health issues that I'd never had time to um, examine before. 
And uh, I used to go to meetings and I used to fall asleep in the meetings because I wasn't sleeping at night and everything and people just, you know, sat by me and made sure I didn't fall off the chair, I suppose. So here I was not even drinking but feeling drunk, um, drunk on emotions. That's the problem. Like I feel like of people I've talked to, I have a leaky adrenaline system and if it starts to leak and I don't have a hold on that somehow, um, I'm in trouble. And that's what happened. I hit rock bottom again and I thought, now what can I do? And the thing was, is there was a piece of pissing in the jigsaw for me and that was my emotional sobriety. People go poo-hoo it and say, emotional sobriety, what's that? Well, for me, it means that I can cope with things emotionally like a normal human being, whatever that is, healthy human being. But I didn't know how to do any of that. So I desperately needed that emotional sobriety and drinking since I was 14 up to, you know, 53, I think it was, when I came in the rooms, I was emotionally stunted, I can tell you, and um, in every shape and form and I needed to address that and I was lucky because one of the guys that was in AA had also been doing a program called Grow, I'd never heard of it. And he said to me, look, I need a lift to the meeting. Can you give me a lift? And I said, yeah, sure. So I gave him a lift and he said, do you want to stay just to see what it's like? And I said, yeah, okay. Can't be in. And I was feeling really bad. And so I started growing. It was like a repeat of AA and they hugged me and I cried for the first time. I can't remember how long because all my emotions were bottled up and I just let it all out and... Um, they encompassed me and back then it was a small group. Now we're up to about 17, I think, down in Victor. And I do that whenever I can on a Friday afternoon and that's a 12-step program like AA. So I have two 12-step programs in my life. And that helps me because I live alone, talk about my problems with other people and get feedback. It also gives me a practical program to do something about those program, um, those problems because I get a practical task if I have a problem around the program and I take off and do that at my leisure and that suits me and report back to the group. And we also do a lot of social things. We have coffees and card nights and quizzes and the same thing as AA walks. Um, and that fed my social life as well in my community. So I became connected to the community, which is what I needed to do. And as well as being plugged in with my higher power, I also needed to connect to my community and I found that way. Started volunteering, as I said, for Lifeline and um, I'm now the coordinator of the Wildlife Shop in Victor Harbour, um, which supports our local hospital, Animal Hospital in um, Goolwa. And I love that job, but I am, I'm looking for paid work. So I've been doing it for 12 months, but now I'm ready to go back to work. So that will have to go on the back burner, but it's been a big part of my life. I'm organising a fashion show at the moment down here on the 29th of April um, for a charity event. And uh, it's been great fun. I, lo I love fashion. and That's why I like working in a shop. Um but, yes, yeah, so I'll have another change soon coming and I'm open to those changes now and I'm capable of doing them. Um, I have to be aware. I need balance in my life. That's really important. Um, daily balance. And that gives me the serenity that I have today, the biggest gift that anyone could ask for. 
Um, yes, I have a roof over my head and that I struggle you know, to keep that sometimes financially living on my own. Um, but I, I have a, I've, I've opened it at times to other AA members that have needed help along the way um, because I carry the message quite strongly. Um, but at the end of the day, it's my serenity. I actually called it Blue Haven Cottage. And it's my my serenity, and I have great serenity more than I've ever had in my life. The only time I can ever have remember having this amount of serenity was when I was with my grandmother. She offered me serenity, and um, of course, I haven't had her for many many years. So my higher powers, different things to me, works through people, works through the rooms. It works when I see um, a newcomer come in and get the message and get well. Uh, and it also works for me in nature. I'm a big nature lover, so well, when I say big nature, it's not like I go doing ocos or something. But, but I love walking along the beach down here. Um, I like just being around trees and nature and gardens, and yeah, I feel feel very at home in those places. Um, and it gives me the same effect as the rooms do. And I often I've got two chairs down here on my walk, one where I meditate and one where I pray. Um, and it works for me. That it works. They told me, you know, it works if you work it, and that's what I've done. And I've I've helped other people. I've been friends to other people in the program to get them through, to help them hold their hand through the steps, men and women. Um, and, you know, it feels great. My my higher power works through me and I can almost feel their higher power when we're doing the steps together. And I don't know how that works. That's a miracle to me. But I sense it and I know it's real. And, uh, yeah, so I've had the um, opportunity to see quite a few people get sober. I've also seen a lot of people leave the rooms because, unfortunately for them, not their time or whatever it is they don't get what some of us get um and that's okay you know everyone's journey is different used to upset me in the beginning but someone told me once um you know there's a bridge there's a bridge from when you're um drunk to when you're sober and you cross that bridge over and once you've crossed that bridge over you can see the other people on the other side, but you can't reach them. So there's no point in even trying. It's up to them to cross the bridge. We have local meetings uh, for the full week in the local area. Uh, Monday is Gala meeting at 8 o'clock. Tuesday is Elizabeth East at 8 o'clock. Wednesday is Elizabeth East at 8 o'clock. Thursday is Two Wells at 8 o'clock. And Friday is Salisbury at 8 o'clock. There's a meeting at Daveron Park at 12 o'clock and on Sunday there's a meeting in Salisbury at 7 o'clock and many other meetings in the area. For details of your local meetings, please phone 1300 And once again, if anyone you know is struggling with alcohol issues, please call Alcoholics Anonymous on 1300 the website is aasouthaustralia.org.au.